0: Welcome to Tarch, a podcast dedicated to all things Freeblades. We're glad you were here because this podcast is for you, the community of Phalon. And now, here are your impetuous High Quester hosts, Dan Rains and Jennifer Felix. All right, welcome
1: to Tarch, episode two. This is your co-host Dan, along with Jennifer. So welcome back. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed episode one. If not, oh well, we're doing episode two. So uh, today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to cover some of the game basics. Um, Somebody requested that we talk about Candorans, So uh, we're going to talk about the Candorans today for our Faction Spotlight. We have a special interview uh, later on with John Cleves. It's going to discuss some of the information about the upcoming uh, championship. And then see if Jennifer has any rumors milling around over there in that brain of hers she can share with us. I've got at least a couple. Sweet. So, uh, when somebody comes into the game, obviously you gotta get some miniatures, get a few of the basics. However, the rules for this game are different than others. Uh, so we have a few different phases. We have like the events phase, which happens first, uh, which is where you do your initiative, things that may take place in that section. Then we roll into magic. Uh magic's pretty fast because there's only one caster per side. True. Uh, we kick over to movement, shooting, melee, and then the end phase. So uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of briefly describe each one. So the events phase, determining initiative.
2: Right. So even before that, since we're focusing on the Candorans, I'm going to mention Bring Out the Dead, which is a Candoran specific. But even before deployment zones are determined, each Candoran player places six death tokens on the map. The tokens need to be six inches away from each other, and 12 inches away from the table edge. Now, after that, you're going to figure out who has which deployment zone, which side of the table you're starting on, and then you're going to determine initiative, which is a D10 roll. It can actually be a crit. It has to be 10 over the other player's roll.
1: So if I rolled a 4... I'd have to roll a 14 for that to be a crit. Yep. Uh, one note on tokens that I had mm-hmm. clarified this week on the Discord is that tokens are to be no larger than 25mm. So that way somebody doesn't have some Candor and death tokens that are the size of a hubcap and they're putting them on the table.
2: Right. And a little later we'll get into what they use those death tokens for and you'll see why the larger they are, the more overpowered
1: they would be. Yep. Um, so if you do score a crit uh, on your initiative, what does that actually mean for the player who got it?
2: All right. So usually the first player deploys all of their models first. You are allowed to have one ...that you attempt to delay so that you have one that's available to react to whatever the other player might do. Every level of crit, which is every 10 over, so if I had rolled a 24 to your 4, that would give me two additional models I can attempt to place on delay for
1: a total of three. And I believe also there's another part that you can actually make the other person go... First, if you get a crit on there.
2: Right. So you can decide, depending on if you're maybe more defensive or it really matters which target you go after, it might be to your benefit to play second.
1: Yeah. So we've gone through that. We figured it out. Um, We want to put a model on delay. All right. So don't we have to pass a discipline check?
2: You do have to pass a discipline check. And here's the fun part. If you fail your discipline check, of course, there's... A side effect to that, and that is that your that model is now on hold. So it cannot move this turn, but it can still react. So say someone is charging you, you still have the option to counter charge, but you can't, of your own initiative, move, go engage and pick a
1: fight. Oh, so it's a little risky. It can be. <sighs> well, let's just not fail some tests. That's always the best. And then we kick it over into the magic phase. Uh, the player who has one initiative gets to activate their caster first. Uh, so all of your spell casting is done before movement, before shooting, and everything else. So it's, it's it helps you set your stuff up at times.
2: Absolutely. And there's also the thing where if you cast magic, you cannot run this turn. So if you choose to cast magic, which a lot of times I don't on the first turn because there usually isn't going to be a melee fight as slow as my Herodellans are. Yeah,
1: because we both play Herodellans and it's like,
2: oh, run to the fight. And Candorans you're going to find are about the same movement speed. So it is possible that on that first turn you decide to skip magic and go ahead and run. But it is important to note that if you do cast magic, you can only move your speed, not a run action.
1: So that would also prevent you from charging. It does. But it would not prevent you from maneuvering into melee and engaging.
2: Absolutely not.
1: However, you just won't get a charge bonus. Right. All right. Um, Magic users uh, have an ability that no other models in the game have. and That's called CAR. That's your caster ability rating.
2: Yes. And that's the dice that you're going to roll to determine whether or not your spell is successfully cast.
1: And I think pretty much across the board, that is a D10.
2: Mostly, um, I believe the more cool is an exception to that, the demon
1: caster. Is he a d12? I believe he's a d8. Yeah, I remember somebody being d8, because I played against demons. Yeah. And so that must have been where it came from.
2: Right. But yeah, generally speaking, you're going to be looking at a d10, and spells are a target number two, unless otherwise listed. So there's a few exceptions. The Trillion Tree Speaker, when she casts that animal swarm, she has to have a higher number than a two for it to successfully go off.
1: And then also, if you're... Wearing armor?
2: Yes, there is an armor penalty. So that heavy armored Haradillon caster has a modifier or has to hit a target higher target number. So you can pay power to offset that, and all of your spells cost two additional power, but stay target number two. Or you have to hit a target number four.
1: Yeah, I, I basically have been throwing one extra power on my spells to knock it to a target level three. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know there's not a lot of difference between a three and a four, but in my head there is. Right. So I feel more comfortable doing that. But you have to be really careful when you're doing this because you only have so much power right. the entire game. You start with 15. Yeah, so if you and I are casting our 3-power our spell and we want to knock it back to a 2, we're looking at spending 5 power That's on a true. 1 spell.
2: However, that heavy armor and that warhammer means that we're also good in melee. Yes. So if we blow through our power early, we're not a bad melee combatant to run in and help finish off.
1: Yep. Um, Now, if I've casted a spell and you are within the dispel range, which is your...
2: It is your car in inches. So if it's a D10, I have to be within 10 inches. I do need line of sight.
1: And that's to the caster or the target, correct? Yes.
2: Depending on the type of spell that they're putting out there, it could be that they're buffing a target or they're attempting to debuff a target. In which case, I just have to be within 10 inches of that target.
1: Got it. So, generally, first turn, if you're casting a spell, there's no way they're going to counterspell it.
2: Yeah, generally, that one's not counterspelled. There are a few times where you'll decide it's not worth counterspelling, because we have a couple different kinds of magic. There's energy magic, and there's spirit magic. If you are well-versed in spirit magic, but you are trying to counter energy magic, that counterspell is going to cost the base cost of the spell, plus an additional power, because you're unfamiliar with that type of magic.
1: Oh, So if I casted a level two spell and I had to spend two power and I'm running energy and you're playing spirit and you want to counter it, you have to spend three off the get go just to even try it.
2: Yep. So you have to be sure that it's worth it.
1: And even though you casted your spell, you can still counter spell, right?
2: Absolutely. So the counter spell happens after the cast is successful, but before the effect takes place, which is why we do magic first.
1: Got it. Um, Another type of magic in the game is also performance, right? The bard has some
2: very unique things there.
1: And like the udagar.
2: Right. And so that one, I'm not sure how that one works with the, uh, the others if you're still adding an extra to counter it. I haven't got to play my bard yet. It's actually on my paint desk right now.
1: Yeah, I'm planning on picking one up in the future, but I'm waiting for the cantor to come out next month. Yes. I'm super stoked for the cantor. Uh, When we get to spoilers, I have a little something about that. It's not much, but it's about the model. Awesome. All right, so we've finished up our magic phase. We both used our one caster that we're allowed to have, and we both either casted or decided not to.
2: Let me throw one more thing in here that's really specific to the Candoran, since that's what we're focusing on. Mm -hmm. The Candoran's Jackal Priest can actually spend extra power in order to keep a summoned undead model on the table for the entire game. And this gets interesting when it comes to countercasting, because in order for them to do that, they're spending three times the power. Mm-hmm. So let's say they're summoning their bone for all host. They would normally spend three power, but because they want this to last the entire game, they are spending nine power. And you want to counter this because this is on the table the entire game. Oh, my it's goodness. Nine monumental. power. Right. But when you go to counter it, you're countering at the base cost.
1: Oh, so, so I only have to spend the three?
2: Right. Possibly the one if you're not a spirit caster, because uh-huh. necromancy is a spirit magic. But yes, so they're spending nine to even try it. But you can come in and counter that. So that one is always worth countering if you have enough power, because that can change the game quite a bit.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Adding a, a whole host of bone draws, that's three of them.
2: Right. And they don't count towards the break point. So if you kill them, you aren't any closer to breaking the enemy free band.
1: Mm, that's pretty, pretty sweet but that would, you would have to really know your army and make sure that you're not having to counterspell and that you're not going to need your power later because that's only going to leave you with six power.
2: They do actually have a way using the death tokens to pick up a little bit of power later in the game.
1: Oh, snap. We I can't wait for that. you to tell me about that. Uh, movement.
2: All right, so you have a basic movement speed that's mm-hmm. listed for you, and that is your standard speed. So for most of the Candorans, we're looking at five inches. Which is also very similar to the Khazarik and the
1: Heraldellins, and that's because they're wearing heavy armor.
2: Right, heavy armor, and in this case, it's because they're slow and undead.
1: With your basic maneuver of your your regular speed, you can pretty much go whatever direction you want. You can turn as many times as you want. You You can can end in any facing, however, and you can actually walk into melee. Mm -hmm. However, you can't end your move within one inch of an enemy model. Because that could would potentially count as being engaged, right?
2: Right. So anytime you're going to be within one inch of an enemy model, you need to make it with an intention. Like, hey, I am going to maneuver into combat with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, sprinting.
2: All right. So you do have the ability to run or sprint. And that is two times your listed speed. There are some terrain limits, a few terrain features that you cannot run through, for instance. Um, if you're not arboreal, you can't run through heavily wooded areas. You know, if you don't have Alpine, you're not running over ice. So you do have to take a few of those things into account. But running only has to be in a straight line for the last two inches. So you can still take some turns. But yeah, you definitely, that last two inches has to be in a straight line. So you have to plan it a little bit.
1: All right. Um, The next we have would be breaking off.
2: Right. So you are exiting a combat that you start the movement phase engaged in. And when you do this, you can move up to your speed but you are essentially turning your back. So if you have a shield that's adding bonuses to your defense, you're gonna lose that defense bonus. You also can't shoot or conduct a special action and you cannot run into another fight. The enemies that you started in contact with will get a reaction attack, unless you have a talent like Elude or Blade Dancer, which lets you break off without a reaction attack. So if you have Elude 1, and are breaking off from two models that you're engaged with, you're only allowed to pick one of those models that will not be allowed to give a reaction attack.
1: So if you're piled on, or somebody's in support contact against you, right. you're going to want to pick the hero.
2: Absolutely. Definitely pick the most dangerous target to elude.
1: Um, with being in combat, uh, the way to get there is charging. Right. And I believe that if you're not eligible to run, you're not el- eligible to charge. Is that correct? So, like, with the terrain?
2: You mean if something is slowing you down or in the way? Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, terrain definitely plays an important part in planning out how you're going to move, how you're going to engage the enemy, what you need to work around. But a charge has to be at least three inches of movement in a straight line, and the target has to be in your front arc, which is your front 180 degrees. Now, you do get a 90-degree adjustment, Mm -hmm. but if they're behind you in such a way that a 90-degree adjustment doesn't get them in your front arc, you wouldn't be able to charge
1: them.
2: And, you know, a model could ambush behind you. And so, you know, you didn't expect them there. You were faced the wrong way. You might not be able to attack.
1: And when they charge, what does that add to your stat line? What does it give you a bonus for doing?
2: It's actually going to go ahead and give you a plus one to your melee damage roll. So for that to be successful, you do have to make your Mar roll against their defense. Mm -hmm. So once you've beat their defense, you get a plus one to your damage. And a Tarch will not get the plus one, but every other roll would, which helps you beat their armor and do damage to them. You also get to go first. Normally, it's Mm -hmm. whichever model has the highest discipline gets to resolve their combat first. If the discipline is tied, then it's a simultaneous combat. But if one model has charged no matter what the discipline levels are, the charging model gets to attack first. And that's if they super kill the other remember. model, there's no reaction.
1: Um, with charges, there's some abilities that allow, or there's an, a reaction, basically. It's called a counter charge. Right. And that's where I declare, I'm going to charge your model. And then you get to make your declaration on your reaction. And one of those could be to counter charge. And let's say that we're four inches from each other. Mm -hmm. And I want to charge you and you're going to counter charge me. We're basically both only going to move two inches. Right. Hence, no one gets the charge bonus.
2: Right. So in that case, I would definitely counter to deprive you of the bonuses that you would get from a charge.
1: Yep. But if we were both, if we were seven inches away and we charge and you counter charge and our speeds were relatively the same. We would basically meet in the middle at three and a half inches. Right. And we would both get a charge bonus.
2: So it would be a simultaneous combat with both sides getting to do their entire attack before deaths were taken into account.
1: So that's where we would kick into. Would it be like, they? oh, yeah, they both attack completely. Then they both die at the same time or they both Possibly. live at the same right. time. All right. So it's like running into each other head first. Right. Uh, there's a couple actions that you can do. Uh, during this, and we, you had mentioned it earlier, you said something about holding, like if you failed that delay test.
2: Uh huh. So, if a model is on hold, it hasn't moved, but it still has the ability to make reactions. So, a model's on hold, they can't decide to move it, it is stuck there. But if you announce you're charging it, it can make that reaction countercharge.
1: It- if they are a ranged model, are they allowed to shoot in the shooting phase?
2: So it gets interesting on that. If they charge, generally not. There is an exception, though, and that is the throne weapons. Uh-huh. And when you're looking at the Candoran specifically, only the oppressor, which is your leader, has a thrown weapon, and that is their lasso.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a pretty sweet weapon. I can't wait to talk about that one.
2: Right. So that one will be used along with the church.
1: Got it. Um, and delaying is kind of like holding your action to use it later on in the turn.
2: Right, because I'm worried about one of your models and where it's going to be because maybe I can't easily contact it. But if you come forward and charge one of my followers and I have a hero on delay, I can then move that hero to contact you and hopefully force you with hero's honor to fight who I want you to fight.
1: Mm -hmm. As long as your army upholds to hero's honor.
2: That's true, and not all of them do. We know that the bandits don't and the undead... Mm. Don't care about Hero's Honor.
1: Um, now, you've panicked. You're taken off.
2: Yeah, so panic is a discipline check that has happened from something that's taken place. You know, you just watched your best buddy over there die horribly. Or you lost your combat this turn, and you took more life points lost than the other side. You failed your discipline test, so now you are running at your regular speed. Not your running speed, just your standard
1: so, if you're speed five, speed that's five, five inches. Yes.
2: Plus a D4 dice. And this is a die that does not crit. If you roll a four, you're just adding that four to your five inches, and you are running nine inches directly toward your table edge.
1: Now, if you're a fast model, which is anything speed eight or better...
2: Then you are running a D6 instead of a D4 for that variable.
1: Um, so, you panicked, you took off running, and uh, we'll worry about the combat part when we get to the combat, but... Right. It's your next turn and you want to bring that guy back in the fight. So we have to do the action of rallying that happens in the movement phase.
2: Right. So as soon as you try to activate that model, the first thing you're going to do is try to stop the panic. This is a discipline test. Generally, you've run out of range of your leader. So you are rolling on your own discipline. So it's a little harder test to pass, especially for a follower. Your target number is four. So you're rolling your discipline, hoping to get a four or higher. If you succeed... Then you will turn and face the combat, but there's no further movement in this turn. The rally is it for you. And if you fail, you go back to your speed plus a d4 still heading for the table edge. If you make contact with the table edge, you are run off the table.
1: Like, deuces, I'm out of here. Right. There's no coming back from that. That's pretty much all that can happen or all that's supposed to happen in the movement phase. Yeah, I think we've covered most of it. Um... The next step we do is the shooting phase. Great. So if you think about it, we have now engaged our models waiting to fight. So while they're running in, the rest of your ranged army is kind of ready to loose the arrows and stuff like that. So uh, shooting also happens at the same time.
2: Yes. So all shooting is resolved and then the casualties are totaled.
1: So, it's not like, all right, I go first, so I'm going to shoot, and I'm shooting your guy with a bow that you have, your archer, and my archer kills your archer. Doesn't matter, your archer still gets a shot. Right. And um, your ranged weapons go off of your ranged attack rating, or most commonly referred to as your. RAR. Right. Um, and it's got different weapons have different range bands
2: absolutely so a crossbow is going to have a slightly different range than a long bow and obviously your thrown weapons are going to be a much shorter range weapon but yeah, essentially you'll like have
1: four and eight
2: yeah they're pretty close so you have a close range a medium range and a long range and the way that we deal with that is by adding penalties the further out a target is
1: so it's like six twelve eighteen maybe right so, if your shot is less than 6 inches, there's Close no penalty. Close range, no penalties. And if you are in between 6 inches and 12 inches...
2: Then you're going to have a minus 1.
1: And then, same thing for the next one, you'll be at minus Unless 2. Right. Um, one of the things about this game is your ranged weapons and your ranged users are always worried about themselves kind of first. And so, they're going to want to shoot at the closest target that's to them.
2: Yes. However, you can have the option to take a discipline test that is a targeting test that will let you shoot something other than the nearest model or a cool talent that you're going to want to look for generally on your leader is shoot them. If the leader has a shoot them talent and you're within range, which is usually six inches, then you don't have to take that targeting test. You can shoot at whoever you like.
1: That's pretty sweet. It works out. Uh, I used it this week as well. So it, yeah. it worked for me because um, our archers have like a discipline D four, right? You have gotta explode the dice in order to not shoot somebody. So it's it doesn't always land that way.
2: Yeah, and it you know they'll maybe make sure that a hero is always the closest model because it's the least likely to be killed if the shot goes through. Mm-hmm. But you really want to shoot that follower that's just a little behind them because that's more impactful for you to kill a model, take it totally off the
1: table. Yep, and you can if if you check the where we're at in our phases we've done our movement so we have models that are engaged right and when you're going to shoot you can still shoot a guy that's engaged
2: absolutely and you want to talk about a modifier on that one it is a negative four.
1: Oh snap
2: and if you miss you can hit anybody in that combat so there is a chance that you actually end up shooting and killing a friendly model
1: that would be a bummer.
2: It would be. And I personally am very averse to shooting into combat. But I play some people that just don't care.
1: <laughs> I um, was fielding a model this week, and I'll talk about it later. And I shot into combat twice. And it, it worked out for me both times. But if it was my regular archer, nope, not a because eh Because our archers are D6 raw, Right. And so if we're shooting a your average model that has like a defense three we're needing a seven. So I've already got to explode the dice guaranteed in order to make a hit. And
2: right. And I think that's why I'm personally so averse to it, but there's a lot of better archers out there. You get into some of the trillion hero archers and maybe it is worth it in those cases.
1: Yeah. I I definitely found it worthwhile this weekend.
2: It's good.
1: Uh, So we've established all of our shooting. We've removed our casualties. Uh, We've taken our morale tests as we've needed to, because if someone dies, uh, Depending on who they are that dies and where they are in their range to other models, they could have to take a panic test that would kick off and you would follow the basic rules for the panic that we just talked about in the movement step. Right. So we go over to melee and this is where whose turn it is, is really, really important.
2: Yes. So your melee combat is resolved first. If one model charge, that model has top priority. They're going to go first. If both models charged, it's simultaneous. If no one charged, you just maneuvered into a combat, then it's going to go on your discipline.
1: Um, you'll use your Mar, which is your melee attack rating. Uh, you roll whatever die that is. Mm-hmm. This can also explode. Yes, uh, it can, can spike, and for every spike that you, or for every crit you get, which is generally a threshold 10 above, uh, for most models, there are ones that have different rules for that, um, but... If you get, let's say you need a, a four to hit the person and you, your dice spikes and you end up getting a 15. So when you go to roll your damage, you're already considered to have spiked that first roll.
2: Exactly. So let's say the oppressor, which is the leader of the Candorans, just rolled that spike that we talked about on his D12 mar. So now when we go to his melee weapon, which is a spike drack, that's going to be a D8, he's going to start with an eight, Roll that D eight and whatever he rolls adds onto it. So if he rolls a one, it is not a tarch, it is a nine.
1: Got it. And then this can also spike as well.
2: Absolutely. And for every level of crit on this, you're doing an additional life point of damage.
1: So if you're going against like, you know, I we're just picking on archers today, but an archer and they have like a defense of three, I think. It's mm-hmm. two or three. So he's already sitting on an eight. And as long as he rolls, what, a 6 or better, you're going to be 10 over.
2: And at that point, you're looking at a dead archer.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, so definitely a big advantage to spiking the mar rolls.
1: Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Works out well. Um, So after you've done your your attack, you remove the life points. Right. And then um, you will resolve all the combats. This was one thing that was really hard for me to wrap my head around, was the division of combats right and uh, the one thing that they do here is if you have multiple combatants from both sides engaged then you split them off so if you have if i have two models that are base to base but not in support of each other and i'm fighting two of your models that are in base to base that are not in support of each other now that combat actually separates itself And you'll make a small gap in between the models and you will now have two combats instead of one.
2: Right. And you're going to determine the winner of each of these combats individually.
1: Yep. Yeah. We, uh, we went through that this yesterday, as a matter of fact, and it worked out well for me because I was able to position models in a losing battle to turn it to a winning battle for me. Fantastic. So, uh, once we've removed our life points and we've determined, uh, who took the most damage? Now we've figured out who the winner is.
2: Or it's possible that it's a tied combat because you both took one life point off of each other. Mm-hmm. Or no life points were dealt in that combat at all. In and which case, tied. there's no discipline rolls. It's like a slap
1: fest. Everybody just looks at each other. Right. And
2: I play Haradelen against Kazarik a lot. And that is how most of them resolve.
1: Because you have lots of armor. Exactly. Um. So now we, we know that uh, I lost combat. Mm-hmm. So I have to make a discipline check.
2: Right. So you are testing on your discipline unless you happen to be close to your leader and -hmm. you can borrow their discipline, which is a fantastic thing. Sometimes you'll notice all the fights cluster in one area for that exact reason. John will also tell you whoever has initiative gets to choose which fight to resolve first as they work their way through the combats. He will resolve the leader last. Mm -hmm. That way, if there's any morale tests that need taken, everyone in range of the leader gets to benefit from his discipline.
1: Yeah, so that's one reason it's important to be the first player.
2: Yes, that is because definitely Because you're the one that
1: decides the order of the melee combats that happen.
2: Right. So you could try to take their leader out 1st Mm-hmm. And that could potentially change the whole tide of battle if a number of their models then panic.
1: Yep. Uh, once we've established all that, we've got whoever's running is running. And if they got mowed down, uh, yeah. they get taken out. It's just pretty pretty simple.
2: Right. So you have panicked the enemy. They're running away from the combat. You get to choose whether or not to pursue. Usually. Usually. That's true. You can't be in contact with any other models. So if you had two models on you and you panicked one of them, but the other is standing fast, you have to take out the other one. But if you are not engaged, you have the option to pursue them.
1: Unless you're impetuous.
2: Yes. In which case you have to pursue them. It's not really a choice. That's just how you are. Yep, which I love. My apprentice side of Barrick is always doing that. But what gets interesting here is the way the panic works. If you remember, is you're going your movement speed plus a D four. Mm-hmm. Now the Candorans, their movement speed is five. They for will, most yeah for most, and they will also be rolling that D four. So your odds of running down a target become much slimmer.
1: And that's going to be the same thing with uh with what we're used to playing.
2: Exactly. Yeah, the Haradellans have to think ca- about it too.
1: Yeah, the Candorans are slow, right. but they're beefy.
2: You are never probably going to run down a mounted grular.
1: No, if the odds of this happening, no.
2: because you can't spike that distance run, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you do have the option to not pursue. So if you don't pursue and you're unengaged, you could do a three-inch reposition to decide where your best place for next turn's combat. But if you can run the model down, all you have to do is catch them, and they are dead.
1: I ran into that this week, too. I've literally got to try all kinds of things this week, so it's worked out really great for me. I'm pretty excited to talk about my games. Awesome. Um, once we've resolved all of our sh- all of our melee attacks mm-hmm. and all the combats are done, all of our morale tests are finished, uh, we hit the end phase. Yes. And the end phase is it's kind of limited as to what can happen, right? Uh, so generally, you'll have to have a model that can do something specifically related to the end phase.
2: Right, or there's a scenario where there are specific end phase actions that are part of the objective that need to take place.
1: Yep. And that's gonna be scenario driven. Yes. So
2: absolutely. So the end phase couple of things to do are check and make sure that neither free band is broken, which is more than half of its life points, are off the table. So if your leader is on the table but has suffered two life points of damage, you are still counting all four of his life points as on the table. It is mm-hmm. only models that have died or run off the table. So first you check for the break. Then you check to see if anyone's met the scenario objective.
1: And the break for having half the life points off is still just a regular discipline check, right?
2: Um, actually, if half your life points are off the oh, table, well, no, you if, if you're, if they're, you're done.
1: Yeah, well, if they're half, they're, they're over. But yeah. if you have to make a, a morale check to stay, it's always going to be off of a four, right?
2: And then, like we said, some of the scenarios have very specific end phase actions. Things like picking up loot, and most of these require that you're not engaged and that you did not run this turn. But you can test to pick up loot. You can test to close witch gates that demons are pouring through in the demon infestation one. Uh, In the trial stones, you'll be testing to see whether or not you can master those trial stones and gain the benefits. And there's also a few that have things like scouting points Mm -hmm. that you'll be rolling to see whether or not you've successfully earned them.
1: Sounds like a lot of stuff can happen.
2: A lot can happen, but that's what keeps it interesting. And then you'll go right back to initiative and go into your next turn if you haven't met any of the
1: the win conditions. And we talked about um, critical hits throughout this that happen throughout all of these phases. And each phase has a different response for getting a crit or a different bonus.
2: Right. So let's kind of discuss that one. Okay, great. So the first thing that you're rolling... Is your initiative. So if you're critting on the initiative, like we mentioned, every level of crit allows you to attempt to delay another model. So you automatically get a one model delay if you're first player. Every level of crit gives you one more model. Now the next thing that you can crit on is going to be casting, because Mm -hmm. that's our next phase. And for each critical success on casting, it reduces the amount of power that you spent.
1: So you could effectively cast a spell for free? Absolutely. Now, could you get power back? No. Okay.
2: That one you can't.
1: Well, that's good, because if you spent nine power to uh, to cast a spell... Right. I don't want you getting all that back.
2: That Yeah, that's a game changer right there.
1: Uh, we talked about hitting. Um, successes on hits count as an auto spike. Right. Uh, and your melee attack roll. Mm-hmm. And so that kicks us over to each crit you get on the melee attack roll.
2: Does an additional life point of damage.
1: So effectively, you can still take somebody that's... A nobody and kill
2: a leader. A Absolutely. Leader. I've seen it. Ha- I've had it happen to me. Actually, our last winter tournament before COVID hit and everything was locked down. My leader was dropped in one turn.
1: Oh, that's embarrassing.
2: It definitely changes the game. It's really hard to come back from a leader just falling over dead.
1: Yeah. That, that would probably ruin my game.
2: Right. There's panic and mayhem. And yeah.
1: Then uh, we have skill tests.
2: Right. So if you are rolling against any of your skills, like strength, spirit, and anything like that, and you manage to get a critical success, you'll get a Fate Stone. The Fate Stone attaches to the model that rolled that test, and it allows you to re-roll a dice for free. And you can choose to use it this turn, next turn. It's a great thing to have if you fail a morale test and panic. If you have that Fate Stone, that is a point where you are absolutely re-rolling that.
1: Yeah. Because you don't want to take off. No. No. And when you're doing a skill test, when we talked last episode about can you steal a magic item from another player? Yes,
2: John answered that, and you can steal a magical artifact item from another player.
1: Yep, pretty sweet. Yes. Pay all those points for your little sweet carded magic item, and I will just take it from you. Right, the thief pockets it, and off they go. Yep. Um, discipline checks?
2: So, discipline checks will also give you a Fate Stone for every level of success.
1: Nice. Uh, I think we really covered pretty much all the phases, don't you?
2: Yeah, I think we have walked through them pretty well. I do want to mention that on our YouTube channel, we also have a couple of our quick demo games that walk you through a turn. Those are going to be the Eclipse versus the Tresorites. And you'll actually get to see the models and how they move on a very small mat. But that's another great thing to watch. I think it's only about 15, 20 minutes.
1: There's also several demos by, I think, a guy named Tyler. He put a he put like six Free Blades 101 videos out there.
2: Absolutely. So depending on how much time you have to invest, you can either watch our quick demo. There's whole games on there. There are mm-hmm. some great resources out there for you.
1: Yeah, I um listen to all of Tyler's 101 videos while driving to and from work or driving to some place and I just put it on in the car and listen to it cuz I already know what things are going to kind of look like on the table so I can visualize it. Absolutely. But I just want to hear it and it helps get through.
2: Right. And you get to see a lot of different factions come against each other in those. And so that really helps you get a feel for which one might be the next one to try for you.
1: Mm -hmm. We are talking about factions. So uh, let's look at this Candorans. So the Candorans, they are actually humanoids. They're alive.
2: Right. They are Simcar, same as the Grular. Well, some of them are alive. Some of them are dead. But yes, the the citizens
1: themselves (laughs) are alive. Yes. And they just happened to stumble upon necromancy one time. And that was found after they took over a city. Um, I want to say the guy's name was Orcash. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But. He was in his study, basically, after they took over this city and they were had some workers going around and fixing stuff because they had just actually taken this city right. from uh, I forget who it is. But they they had like this temple down the street and the workers were in there trying to go through it and they stumble across what ends up being necromancy. And so that's how the Candorans ended up being able to summon these undead. There's a really cool story about Orcash. Um, I'm not sure if it's published up on uh, World Anvil yet or not, but I know it's going to be shortly. So make sure you you look for it because it's it's only like a two page story, but it is really, really neat. And I, I like how they've shown that this is where it came from, as opposed to, oh, well, they've just always had it. You know, they've known how to do it from the beginning of time.
2: No, there's a very clear story behind this. And you start to see that they don't see themselves as evil, although a lot of us looking at necromancy would instantly think, oh my gosh, this is an evil faction. They're just highly pragmatic. You know, why waste lives when you can send the undead to fight for you?
1: Exactly. Um, With this Candoran free band, uh, there are some live models in there, Mm -hmm. and there are some undead models in there. Right. Uh, I was told that all the releases aren't done for the candorans so expect to see more live and dead models coming to the table
2: absolutely that is something that we are always looking at we're generally coming out with at least one new model a month Mm -hmm. and we are rotating through which faction needs the release the most you know so they kind of fall to the bottom of the list if they just got one there are a few things that affect that if somebody decides to sponsor a model obviously that's at the top of the list Mm -hmm. we want to make sure we fulfill that commitment as soon as possible so if you're just dying to see another undead, you can definitely get a hold of me and we can sponsor that and get that on the table. But yeah, definitely look for that. It is something that we have planned.
1: So was that pun intended? Yes. <laughs> um, these guys, the Candorans, they are slow, mm-hmm. but they are beefy as all get out.
2: They are. You'll notice that the live models, a lot of them have a diehard on them.
1: And so, they have tough.
2: Yes, they have diehard. They have tough. You will see a lot of interesting things that just make these annoying to kill. For instance, the Levy Spearman, that shield he has is plus three defense versus ranged attacks. He is the best model in the game to combat, say, the Trillions, which are heavily ranged force. hmm There are definitely some things. So you're going to be slower. You're going to have to plan where you're going and how you're engaging because you aren't going to be able to get there fast. But once you are engaged, you are very tough to take out.
1: Um... We, we had talked earlier about this leader, and we just mentioned mm-hmm. a few things that he had die hard and tough. Right. Um, you briefly mentioned the lasso.
2: Right, because that is a thrown weapon. So it's a little bit different because the thrown weapon doesn't suffer any penalty for moving, but it does suffer a minus one for running. But for instance, your bow, if you're running, you can't shoot at all. But the thrown weapons, you can absolutely use. And what he's throwing is actually a lasso. So if he is running at you, charging, he's also throwing his lasso on the way in. So he is getting both attacks off in a charge phase, which makes him very dangerous.
1: So he could also maneuver his five inches mm-hmm. because maybe he couldn't see the model that he wants to charge. Right, he's got to go So he can maneuver kind of around the corner. And then at the end of his movement phase, he's within the lasso range of you. He can whoop you and pull you in
2: right? Because he does have pull. And he also has an entangle and a deadly on that ranged weapon. So yes, the thrown weapons are very, very deadly. The legionnaire for the Trazerites is actually the most expensive model and probably the best follower in the game. And he is basically throwing in a javelin type weapon. And you'll see that same thing. And the trillions also have some thrown weapons. But the thrown weapons just have that benefit of because of the shorter range, they keep full mobility.
1: With having the uh, oppressor as our leader, he's not really the only human in the war band. Well, we have our caster.
2: Right, the jackal priest.
1: Uh, he's humanoid.
2: Mm-hmm. The levied spearman is a follower is mm-hmm. also alive. And your wretch follower.
1: The wretch is weird-looking model.
2: It is, and he's carrying around a hand.
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> he's got a hand, and it's just, just a weird-looking model.
2: Right? His slap range is increased by however long that extra arm is.
1: <laughs> he's like, talk to the hand. So that guy, he's fast because uh, we've been talking about how everything is slow. Right. But he's actually the fastest model in their group with a speed seven.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he has infiltrate. Yes. So that gives him a free move
2: mm-hmm.
1: after all models speed. have deployed.
2: Yes. So he is getting an extra seven inches.
1: And what's pretty sweet about that is if you remember... Jennifer talked earlier about these death tokens that were put on the board. Right. So this dude could effectively hit a death token first turn.
2: Absolutely. And when he picks that up, the bonus that he gets is he gains a life point. So normally he only has one life point because he's a follower. Every death token he picks up adds one to that. So he could suddenly have two life points. So even if you shoot him and wound him, he's still there.
1: He's an eight gold follower. Right. Super cheap. Mm-hmm. And there's six of those death tokens on the board, right? That can be used for various things, and this guy can just sit there and pick one up and be like, "Haha, I'm so much harder to kill now." Yep. Um the the jackal priest. Let's talk about him.
2: Yeah. So he has some fantastic, unique things. That death binder that allows him to bring any of his three undead summons onto the board for the entire game is just, it's crazy. No one else has this. Every other summoned model goes away at the end of the turn.
1: And you get your basic, uh, your level one, which is the Shambler, and that only costs one power. Right. So you basically be spending three power for that yes. one to stay for the whole game.
2: Yeah. And if you look at, you know, how long our things take, usually three turns does see the resolution of a game. So a three times cast power cost is really well balanced, but it can definitely be game changing if it goes off.
1: But if you cast a, a Shambler on turn one mm-hmm. you and you want to keep it, so you pay the three times, right. you can't summon another model, right? Or can you?
2: It doesn't say that you can't on here. I haven't actually come against that because I haven't painted mine or played them yet. So we can double check with John for the final on that one. But I believe next turn you would be able to summon again.
1: Oh, well, that's pretty sweet. That would be crazy.
2: That would be. But you have dipped into your power more and more. So you oh, will yeah. hit a point where you are out of power and summons won't be an option anymore.
1: Yep. Uh, and if you wanted to get these uh, Bone Thralls, they come in a blister pack of three with, uh, I think, one 50mm base. So yep. you have the option of putting them all on there. Or you can use them as summoned Bone Thralls. Or you can actually use them as the Bone Thrall Guard. So...
2: Right, so a little uniqueness to how your faction's ultimately going to look Yeah, you get it on the table.
1: Uh, let's see, what else do they have?
2: Well, one cool thing about the undead models is there's a few special things about being undead. One of them is you are fearless. you right. already dead, what else is going to happen to you? So no fear effects, no fear tests are ever taken. They're also immune to poison because, once again, they're
1: already dead. There's no blood flowing through there.
2: right. And stun does not affect them. Generally, a caster that has a ranged attack, one of the things that can happen if that ranged attack goes off is that it can stun a model. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work against the undead. They no. are tireless. They're just going to keep coming.
1: Just the bones keep crickling.
2: Right. Um... Let's see what else I can think to mention here. This faction range is very limited. You have the Oppressor's Lasso, which is a thrown weapon, has a fairly short range. And then the levy Spearman has a bow. But your Jackal Priest doesn't even have a ranged damage spell. So you are looking at only two models that have the option to have any ranged attacks. Oh. So you're very strong against range with your levy Spearman, mm-hmm. but you are not throwing much range out there.
1: And your army's slow, so you can really succumb to a bad shooting phase.
2: Right which is why you probably want to make sure that that levy Spearman is one of the nearest models to all of the enemy archers, hoping that they don't have a model with Shoot'em or that they don't pass a targeting test to pick anyone else off.
1: Mm-hmm. Or basically making them keep a model with Shoot'em with right. the archers. Right, absolutely. So it's about being tactically and making your opponent play a certain way.
2: Yes. A few other cool things that they have is the Reaper has the Protector Talent. Meaning that if it gets into a combat, it can force the model it's engaged with to attack it instead of another model. So let's say you manage to attack the Jackal Priest. And you want to kill the caster so that he can't summon any more undead, so that he can't use those death tokens to his advantage. You want him out of the way. And the Reaper manages to get into combat with you and say, no, I'm protecting the Jackal Priest. You have to fight me instead.
1: And then he has Sweep basically yes
2: so piling on just means you're putting them in a target rich environment sweep is a fantastic ability to counter having lots of models piled on you
1: and i believe the Candorans are probably the hardest faction to kill just because they have um the high defense armor value basically and then a lot of them have the tough which gives them an additional life point or the Die Hard, which ignores a life point loss. And then they also have ways of gaining life points back through these death tokens.
2: Yeah, so let's talk, we've talked about what the Wretch can do for the Mm -hmm. death token, so let's get into Death Shaper, which will cover what the Jackal Priest can do with those tokens. So, one of the things that they can do is when a hero model with the undead talent is about to lose a life point, they may spend one power, if they're ready and unengaged, and attempt to avoid that life point loss. So they'll take a caster test, roll their car. The target number is four, but there is a negative one modifier for every full three inches to that target undead model. And there's a maximum range of 18 inches, same as all casts. Now, a death token in contact with either the Jackal Priest who's using Death Shaper or the Target can be removed and it will count as one power towards that test Mm. so we talked about how easy it would be to blow through your magic and your power on this that's one way that they can avoid spending as much power now if this test is successful the life point is not lost and in a turn where the death shaper hasn't otherwise been employed so you haven't tried to save any of your heroes who are undead from losing a life point it can be employed in the end phase to remove one life point from any undead friendly faction model within 18 inches. And if they do that, the Death Shaper gains back two power.
1: Oh, snap. So that wretch that's moving super fast Mm -hmm. to grab that death token on turn one and gain a life point, you basically just sucked in two power to give to your caster on the next turn.
2: Well, actually the caster needs to be the one who is removing the life point from an undead
1: model yeah. so, so the, if they go out there the wretch goes out there with only one hit point picks up the death token he's now a two point mod, two life point models and he's within 18 inches of the jackal priest the jackal priest can basically cause him wound that free w- life point that he just got and then get two power for the for the next turn
2: right so that makes the jackal priest very unique to any other caster that we have out there
1: That's pretty fun. The model's neat, too. It's kind of an Anubis-looking model.
2: Right, and there's no assembly acquired. That is one of the great models that we have, where we managed to cast it all together. So you're not having to glue a staff or a hand or anything on there, which just makes it so fast, you can grab it and paint it right away.
1: That's working out really well. Um, I know I was talking with John about the casting of models this weekend, and the new model that just came out. What is that, the Rogue? What is he, a Wandering Rogue? what's he called the rough rider the rough rider that's yes, it
2: our mounted bandits and
1: he's a two-part model right for being on a horse it's like yeah. horse and dude right so that's pretty sweet that that the new models that are coming out they, they're trying to reduce the number of parts and packages that's for multiple reasons you know one bits you don't have to replace them if they get lost in shipping right or they get mispacked and then you don't drop your model on the floor and then ping and you lose the the hand.
2: Right. The small ones tend to just disappear. So it's yeah. definitely something we look at with every model. How can we make it have an interesting dynamic pose, but be sturdy and have as few parts as possible? So there's a lot of things we're balancing there, but we're definitely trying to find the sweet spot to make life easier for everyone.
1: That works. Uh, you got anything else for these Candorans?
2: I think we've covered most everything.
1: All right. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to cut over to our interview with John. All right. I'm here with John, and we are going to talk a little bit about the North American Championship tournament that is coming up.
0: One of the interesting things about the North American Championship is that we have a large playership in Canada, and uh, they are super friendly, super awesome, and super competitive, turns out. Yeah. So, um, so I've met a couple of them at... Yeah.
1: Uh, at Adepticon. Adepticon.
0: yeah, it's really where it started. Uh, so we have our um, our largest uh, competitive event has always been at Adpticon. It's bigger every year. Last year, twenty four people. 2019, 24 people, and um, there were enough Canadian representatives playing the tournament that there a lot of discussion took place after, during, and after the event about you know who was better, Canada or America. So. <laughs> so um, so we want to play off of that. Everybody thought it was a great idea. So what we did was we scheduled this year's Adepticon to be the first ever North American championship to not only have a big tournament, um, we filled 32 seats, when back when the Adepticon was live. Yep. Um, and uh, for a game our size, it's very good. Uh, that's, um, that's a big pull for yeah. it. It's, uh, it's something that makes us you know popular with the Adepticon staff. You know, we can draw the kind of people we need to draw. Um, so we set the uh, the parameters. 32 people's tough because it's a lot. Uh, you want everybody to get games in. So what we, the format was everybody plays three rounds Swiss. Then we'll do a cut and take the top four, and those guys will continue to play, guys or girls. And so uh, they'll play two more rounds, semifinal, final. right?
1: So is this going to be a two-day event?
0: No, so they're going to play that evening. Oh, well, my goodness. That was the, original, that was the uh-huh. plan for Adepticon. But if you're in the top four of a 32-player tournament, the thinking was... You wouldn't care. You'd want to play on it. Yeah, just day. finish it. And everybody else knows they're going to get three games in, regardless. Yeah. But they don't have to commit two days to the event. When they so you can go run other events. In and... the area, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's, exactly. You know, as a longtime competitive player myself, I'm always sensitive to how much time in the con I'm eating and playing in tournaments. You know, to playing some three-day yeah. thing. I don't have to get to do anything.
1: Yeah, you can't visit the vendor hall at yeah. all because you've been right. playing games all day.
0: So, and the people that actually, you know, really deeply care about the competitive part of it are going to be okay with committing the evening to playing a couple extra games? It's free blaze, It's not like four hours long. Yeah. You know, and now a couple games out, we know who the winner is. Um, people who wanted to, like, grab a sandwich, come back and watch the semifinal, final round, you know, that was also a thing. And then we said, uh, in addition to the prizes, everybody's going to get something. The top eight gets something. The top four gets something. The winner gets the challenge coin. Um, we are going to award the Asaurus Cup. And Asaurus in Failish is... North-South. Okay. You know? uh, Canadians be the North, Americans in yep. the South in this case. Um, and we bought a giant-ass cheesy cup uh, to <laughs> be the prize because uh, before COVID, anyway, we wanted people to be able to drink out of it. I don't know if that's going to be a thing anymore. <laughs> uh, so, so, and we didn't want to, We if we were going to give it to the players, the side that wanted to do whatever for a year, and we didn't want some big expensive thing, if it gets broken, we'll just get another one, you know, so. Yep. It's not some... Uh, it's not made out of titanium or platinum. It's not
1: the Stanley Cup.
0: No, it's not the Stanley Cup. Absolutely <laughs> not the Stanley Cup. But it's cool. It's big. It's cheesy. It's awesome. It says the Casares Cup on it. And so we're going to do the same thing uh, because we couldn't do a Adepticon. We aimed for the Michigan Grand Tournament, which is that same weekend we're actually going to do this, uh, up in Michigan because... That's October 3rd and 4th, right? right? That's the days of the tournament, correct. And that was also the weekend of the Michigan GT... And it was the last event that got canceled this year before it just got blanked because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was accessible to our Canadian friends.
1: Yeah, because you know, it's right across the border. It's where
0: it is. So um, and we also have a very strong presence in Michigan, you know, uh, in terms of our uh, players and stores.
1: Didn't you, don't you have like a free band that was sponsored out of Michigan? Is yeah, that the up there? Ends, yeah.
0: It yeah. was a group sponsorship led by the Michigan crew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're awesome. And I got a couple of questers up there. got a couple of different stores very significant presence. So that was, can we can and we went to the GT last year and they had a, a sizable tournament, free blades tournament there. Um, you know, we went up and attended as, you know, kind of company reps. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're already familiar with everybody there, had a great time hanging out with the guys. So that was easy. So we aimed for that. That got canceled because of COVID. So we have a cup, we have a bunch of people who like, uh, you know, competition we have uh, the guys, the averages for from the Basement Collective made 49-inch uh, measuring sticks with North American Championship 2020 on it. You know? <laughs> Which are now
1: going to be collector's right? items. Right.
0: So, um, so we have, still have prizes to give, you know, and we want to do something. You know, we didn't want to not do it at all. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have it, and what we're going to do is we're going to use Tabletop Simulator. Uh, and we've already had, through the help of some of our players who have been amazing about that, we've had... Uh, uh, tournament already run using TTS um, and one of our Canadian friends BJ Lemuria set up all the assets you need to play you know the models and the mm-hmm. maps and the yeah loading models, it all in there all that stuff you need to play the game so we've already done it before um, I'm not personally familiar with it I'm a,
1: a, I am used it the other day I downloaded it for the first time the, thought it was easy and it was yeah. super easy for and me we've
0: and we've had a lot of help from our players helping other players you know learn about it and do things with it so well, I'm not familiar with it. We we said okay, we're going to do it anyway. Now that the Michigan GT is canceled, we're still going to have something, and so we're going to do a two a two day event, same format, three rounds on day one to pick four, mm-hmm. uh, and the top. Well, cap it at 32. We're not going to get 32. I mean, there aren't there aren't as many people interested in playing TTS? As yeah, it's well, a little different. It's, it is. Different. It's
1: hard to get your head around, yeah. but
0: no. But we want to give the people who want to play a place to play and, and, and have a good time. That's great. Talking smack between Canadians and Americans. You
1: know? I don't think any other game company is doing a virtual event. I believe a few other game companies have said that they just canceled all their events for the entire year.
0: Well, people who did people did events through the larger cons that set up an online capability like Gen Con.
1: Oh, yeah. And there was yeah. like Adepticant
0: right. <laughs> and a few the, other groups that, yeah, that they're did doing them their that way. Best. It's not the same experience. Yeah. But they, they, they were trying, you know. So um, the people sign up for that, they're going to, we have uh, folks standing by to help them if they don't know Tabletop Simulator get lined up. I've got a couple people helping me set up the terrain Um, so people are playing, you know, the same terrain per round. It's one of the advantages of TTS is that um, basically everybody's playing the same table because you're not at risk of having people play the same table twice. Mm -hmm. You can set up as many tables as you want. Yeah. So we have that kind of set up by round. Uh, three rounds the first day, pick four. The four played a semi-final final the second day, the fourth of October. Everybody gets a basement collected measuring stick. Everybody is also getting the Leanna's Bow artifact card.
1: Oh, and not the new one that's just coming out?
0: That is the new one just coming yeah. out. Yeah. Um, in fact, we... Uh, we made that. The story that's a little bit interesting, that I was talking about the Potters before, right? Mm-hmm. Ryan's now moved down here. And their mom, Linda, um, got a uh, back to a Kickstarter award level designed a character. And she made what's going to be one of these Heroes of phalon that we're going to be releasing on World of Phalon here later called Leanna, uh, a Trillion Archer. And she wanted that character to have a magic bow. So we wrote rules for it. And uh, went to the, I went to them and said, are you okay with us Making this a game piece, something you can have, in actually the game. And, and not only does Leanna have it, but other people could, you know, have the card, buy the card, for could their buy course, it. for their free band and play it. And they were like all over it, yeah, sure. And so, um, the cards aren't back in the printer yet, but we expect them to show up here in the mailbox any day. And so, I better be getting one of those also. And so, will the people that help us, nice. the volunteers that are now that card. It's kind of out of sequence. We have a different plan for the Artifact for Depticon next year. Mm-hmm. So we're just sort of throwing another one into the mix. I'm like, Nobody hates that. No, so, nobody,
1: nobody's going to turn away free stuff. No.
0: And so we'll, so it won't be your only opportunity to get Leanna's Bow. If you're not a tabletop simulator player, that card will be in play as a promotional card for other events, and Questers will get them, and Stores will get them to give out. You know, That's like good. Oregon so it's United, not going to be Oregon's limited Bible. to just you have just to play tabletop no, to get it. No. So it's a first chance. Um, and it's going to be the first chance for a little while, but there'll be other opportunities to get it. Um, so, and we're printing a bunch of them. We're only going to give away 12, 14 of them that weekend. Plus the guys that helped me, uh, help us run the tournament, mm-hmm. but we, we printed a hundred. So we got, you know, we'll be carrying them up for a while and they'll come with a D9. Oh, so, it's a long bow that fires a D9. The other rules it has, I have to wait till the third one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, um. Uh, So people, uh, you know, join the event. Uh, They build their free band the same way they always do. They don't have the physical models, but they have to play by the free band assembly rules. They'll play three different scenarios. All the scenarios are from their rule book, you know, and they're... Will the
1: scenarios be published ahead of time, or will they just be like you show up today and then here you go. This is the scenario you're playing for round one. Nobody knows what round two scenario is until round two hits. Yes,
0: sir. Okay. Yeah. the team is helping me, of course. Obviously, them, they know. Because but. we want the tables to be set to the scenarios, make sense, so the objectives are in the right place and all that sort of thing, but the uh, the players don't know. Um, and so, uh, and we don't, you know, we'd like to kind of stay away from, you know, people custom building. Yeah, building needs. a
1: list around what they know is going to be there. A particular
0: scenario, yeah. Sometimes we tell them in advance because we need uh, help with terrain or whatever, but in this case, you know, it's just it's going to be a little bit of a surprise. Although... All but one of them are from the standard list, and so there's four four out of five from the standard list, and there's only ten. So, you probably so you're probably going to be playing out. most of them. Yeah, um, and we're not going to have a you know a, a tournament with both skirmish and warriors to them. I and mean, there's some things that you can do to kind of get at least a, a probability that you're going to know a couple of them going in. That's really important to you. Um, not sure what else there is to tell you. We'll, we'll obviously have to mail the prizes out, you know, the stuff that people get. Yeah. We'll do that by any people that are kind of in groups. Like if we have Equestria of Michigan and a couple people from Michigan are in it, we'll mail the batch to that group, you know. Yeah, it'd be but easier for be, postage. They'll be, after, they'll be after the event. We'll figure all that out. But they'll, um, um, they'll all get their, um, their deal. And then what we'll do... Is we will take the combined top scores of the four top scoring Canadians and the four top scoring Americans and award the Osaris Cup to the side that scores the highest.
1: That sounds pretty good. And and the first you, Osaris Cup, we'll the first one. Year. Yeah. So you plan on this event being uh, annually at Adepticon?
0: That's the current plan.
1: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Adepticon is all minis all the time. Right. So it's just yeah. I
0: mean, it's like Gen Con is way bigger in terms of trend style. But it's not a miniatures-focused event. Uh, Adepticon's always been so good. It was Hank and the crew have always been. Matthias, all those guys have been so great.
1: Adepticon's talking. my favorite yeah. convention, so, hands down.
0: Uh, and we have had, um, we have uh, had a tournament at Gen Con, but don't draw the same numbers. We're going to fill 32 seats easy if, if it goes live again. You know when it goes live again. Um, we won't probably get to that level of gen, at Gen at GenCon for a couple of years, and then ReaperCon we're going to be more focused on the role playing aspect of the game company. We'll do free plates, mm-hmm. demos, and all that sort of thing. But there'll be bright sort of ReaperCon also. So, and for those that don't know, ReaperCon is down in Texas, Denton, Texas, North yeah. Dallas. Yeah. So um, focused on the you know the company Reaper, obviously, but, but a lot Reaper of minis. Obviously, they are. You know, other people are there like us. Yeah, it's not just Reaper. And it's very focused on both role-playing and the painting hobby aspect. Uh,
1: yeah, Reaper, their con, is generally known for painting and right. painters and uh, like sitting around and going to classes that, about painting.
0: Super, super event. Different in design than the other ones we go to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, that whole area, there's no gaming going on. People are sitting there working on their, their hobby, you know. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a nice, different way to do hanging out with your gaming friends um, and going to a big event where all the games are going on. Yep. classes are good you know I like I like how the team goes down there and kind of hangs up pick, picks a table hangs out there socially and and then periodically they're getting up and they're going to their classes and they come back to the central table it's kind of a it's a cool social you know you get smarter about some as you know painting flesh and getting mm-hmm. the source lighting you know using an airbrush building of this that whatever so it's good.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for us to get back to that part of the hobby. I'm, I can't tell you
0: how much we missed it. The whole point of what we're doing in DGS is to be with our players and not to physically be with them as, as painful.
1: Yeah, modern problems cause modern solutions. So <laughs> here we are with a tabletop simulator. Um, yep. You can pick that up on Steam uh, for your computers. It doesn't take a huge, gigantic machine to run it, but you, you probably can't run it on a Chromebook. Um, I think the program normally retails for around $19 or $20, and it was on sale earlier this week for like 10 So if you check quickly from the time that this podcast is published, you might still be able to pick it up for $10. Um, and that's for the core game that would be downloaded through Steam. And then once you get there, you can search for Free Blades, and there's a packet that you can download that is free. Free! And it has all this stuff... That's put in it. You can play whatever free
0: bands you want. And that that part of it is provided by our awesome players. We did not, the DGS did not make that package of assets.
1: Yeah, a a person sat there and physically put all that in there and put the images in there. So when you run your cursor over the model, the actual picture of the model pulls up on there. So you can, I think you hold the shift key or the left control and you put the arrow over it. And it brings up the model so you can see what it is. So it's not like you're just moving a little blue block on the table. So there's That's actually, true. There's true. actually wow. visual terrain there. There's an actual models. Um, there's measuring sticks that you can use. And you place the sticks on the table next to the model. You click on the model, and you can drag it to where you want. Uh, you declare your charges. It's got all the dice that you need. So um, the living rulebook is online. Um, there's the quick start rules that you can look at, so you really don't have an excuse not to play.
0: <laughs> uh, one thing I'll add though is, is that technically speaking, the first of September was the sign up date. What we're gonna do is that was because we didn't know whether we're gonna be pressed into 32 people, mm-hmm. you know, kind of be and we're not reaching it, so we're gonna be super liberal. But anybody hears this and, and that's and they're interested in that event, um, just you know, uh. Um, you know, sign up, get a hold of us, and we will hook you up with a, with a spot.
1: Yeah, know? and they can get a hold of you guys through the Free Blades Players page on Facebook. Um, you guys also have a Discord group that's uh, pretty active about the game. Um, you guys also have Twitter too, I believe, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And then if they wanted to get a hold of you, uh, there should be, a, there's a contact button on the dgsgames.com. Yeah, I would, what
0: I would do is, uh, my recommendation would be um, you go to dgsgames.com and go to our social media tab and pick the one that you like working with and find us through that link. Perfect. You know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, whatever your preference is. Reach us and we'll take care of
1: you. Awesome. Well, thanks, John, for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get a few more people to sign up for the event off of listening to us. And we'll, chat. Put it
0: on, we'll have it on Discord where people can come in and take a look at it while it's happening too.
1: Nice. Bye. All right, well, with that, I'll let you uh, get back to what you're doing. Thank you. All right, now that we've heard all of that, um, there's a few things I wanna pass on. Uh, the, the instructions are gonna be posted about lists being turned in, uh, and the lists need to be turned in by the 19th. So Matt Bundy and John have have been working on this to get all the lists done, and they wanna make sure that everything's right and accurate, So make sure you get your list in on time if you are playing. For those of us that aren't playing and we just want to watch it, we are able to do so. However, you must own a copy of Tabletop Simulator to watch the day one matchups. So what you'll do is uh, log in to their game as a spectator. Do not change your access. So make sure you stay as a spectator and then you can watch the game from inside of there. Uh, being as a spectator won't allow you to adjust anything that's on the table you can't pick up any models or move anything else so that's why it's important that you stay as a spectator if you do change your your status you will get kicked from the game and there will also be a video on discord from matt talking about how to um how to do a spectator and load in through it so it's going to be pretty great the day of the event the final day is going to be streamed on Discord, so you won't have to have Tabletop Simulator to watch the final matches. Mm, on the 23rd, the list will be posted publicly on Discord and Freeblade's players. So that's why they need to get in early. You'll be able to see what everybody's playing and uh, hopefully get a edge up on your competition. One other thing, when we just talked about that Rough Rider model... Uh, the, the rule is through DGS is that the model has to have been out for four full weeks prior to an event in order to be used. So the Rough Rider will not be an eligible model in this event. However, the Sword of Vidnar, the last model that came out, came out within the amount of time, so you are eligible to take the Sword of Vidnar. If you have any questions about that, make sure you post them up in Discord or check out um, FreeBlades Players on Facebook and someone will get back to you on answering that. You got anything for the championship coming up, Jennifer?
2: No, I'm just excited to tune in and watch it.
1: Yep, I believe um, I'm gonna be over at DGS headquarters the day of the event and the next day. Um, So I'm gonna try and get some sound clips from inside of some games and be able to talk about those. And then our next cast that we have will talk with either Matt it were Matt and John about the tournament how it went who the winner was and how we felt the whole thing went off yeah. um, let's, let's well let's talk about some games have you been playing any games
2: yeah actually we just started a new very small campaign uh, my youngest son has decided he wants to pick up playing again I initially painted the bandits for him but I think he was nine at the time. And he really enjoyed coming in and playing like the beasts or the bad guys, but wasn't really ready to play a full game. And now that his brother's been playing the Trazerite so much, he wanted to get in on that action. So we started another little family campaign off to the side. And we actually played in a scouting scenario where we're essentially scouting each other's camps. Mm-hmm. So we had it set up to where we met in the woods. And he's playing the Black Rose Bandits. I was playing my Haridelins. And, you know, initially we deployed, you know, I'm setting up my heroes to counter his heroes. As we're getting closer to the center of the table, which takes me a couple turns as a Herodelin, he decides to switch all of his models to one side. And because I'm slower to react, he actually managed to win by objective Hmm. and get more scouting points than me. Nice. It was a smart move on his part.
1: Well, that's one thing that's really cool about this game is you can win without killing.
2: Right. Yeah, it's always good to know what your options are to think ahead tactically. And if you can win by objective, absolutely do it. You know, in the tournaments, an objective win actually scores higher than just breaking the other free band.
1: That's good to know. Uh, Any other games since we recorded last?
2: Uh, That's the last one I played. You know, I oversaw another one where my husband and my older son... Played against each other, exact same scenario, since, you know, essentially it's a campaign. Mm -hmm. And that was fun to watch. We were watching the Grular versus the Trezorites. So two very fast ones. It was actually over in two turns. Holy smokes. Yes. My son rolls incredibly on the dinosaurs. I blame it on my fantastic paint job. He wanted Uh them all like Jurassic World. But those dinosaurs are deadly. So they actually beat the
1: Grular. You're going to have to post up some pictures of those guys. Absolutely. So we can see them up, up there on Free Blades Players or on the Discord page. Um I had a birthday this month and Happy on my birthday thank you. And on my birthday I spent it with John uh, playing Free Blades. That's may sound pathetic to some people, but that's actually what I wanted to do. And so it worked out for me. Went out and I played my Herodellens against John and uh, he knows that I've shown some interest in the shock room. He asked if if uh, I wanted him to play the shock room and I was like, yes, most definitely. So that way I could kind of learn what the Chakram could do and see.
2: Yeah, get the lead designer to play it so you learn all of the little
1: ins and outs. Yep. So he uh, he helped design a list that I've put together for the Chakram as well. And he played that list against me. And our scenario was one where we had to look at the other person's objective on the other side mm-hmm. then you had to roll based on how far away you are like for minus one for every full three inches
2: that's the exact same scenario we were playing for our yep. campaign so
1: yeah yeah so we were playing that his army's faster than mine obviously yes and there was some water and stuff on the table so his shock room can move through without problems and then he got to place uh, a water marsh thing down that he could ambush some uh, one of his models from and he picked to place one instead of placing two. So that kind of limited where I thought he was going to ambush from. And uh, I put two muster archers over on that side and they're they're not really good. But no, I it's put a really in really weak followers. Yeah. So I put them over there and I uh, was hoping they would shoot something down. And then he used the alternate leader rule and had a shell back for his leader uh, which was just really stout. Right, and then he had a tanky. couple steel fangs to run some stuff so long in the short he ambushes with a with a viperion and my muster archers shoot it down on the way in
2: which is amazing because that's essentially a light cavalry, and you know historically light cavalry is very good at harassing archers oh and shutting gosh. them down
1: yeah john was like i can't believe that just happened so i critted one and then hit the other and the crit spiked and i ended up doing enough damage to kill it as soon as it came out and was on his way in to, uh, to charge. That's so, what's so
2: amazing about the dice being able to crit. It can take yep. the tactics of the game and throw some luck in there. And you just never know.
1: Yep. I needed a 5 plus to hit. I rolled a 5 and a 6 on D6 and then killed it. And John's like, no way. <laughs> so I went ahead and we, because I wanted to learn how things worked with this with the Viperion. Right. Um, we paused our game and then said that the Archers didn't kill it. Right. And then we let the, the Viperion come in do what it's supposed to do and kill my guys and then run and follow up and, and then do it's re removing. And so it was really neat to be able to see how all that works. And we were able to just pause our game kind of to do that. And then obviously once that was over and we figured it out, the archer went back and the viperian didn't. So I was pretty happy. Absolutely. But we're going through and John is just racking up the objective points and there's no way I could get to him. So, I'm like, I just have to beat him to death. That's Absolutely. the only thing I can do. So, I've got my Apprentice Knight of Barrack, your favorite.
2: Yes, Impetuous, run in there with that great axe.
1: Sure enough. And then I casted Frenzy on him.
2: Yes. To give him an extra oh. attack. Yeah.
1: And so he charged in. And then I had a support, a support spearman charge in right behind him. And uh, the, I don't remember whether it was a spearman or the, the Barrack, but. We jacked his shell, his uh, shell back up, caused like two two wounds to it, and then he failed a, a morale test. Wow. Yeah. So. Awesome. So the shell back took off running, and the impetuous, uh, barrack chased after. Followed him and cut him down. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. John was like, uh.
2: So you start to see how fun that Knight of Barrett can be. You don't necessarily get to control everything he does, but when what he does works, yep. it makes for a great story. Yeah,
1: and I knew he was going to be really hoss because of his charging in with Bull Rush, and I wanted to give him an extra attack so he could try and do as much as possible.
2: Absolutely. That's where, really, those Veranic Rites give some fantastic buffs, and that was the perfect one to use in that instance. Mm-hmm. And Bull Rush, for those of you who don't know, when you are charging... You get to roll your dice twice and pick the highest one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty sweet. So uh, I ended up beating John on my birthday. Perfect uh, birthday present. Yep, yeah, it was good. And then uh, yesterday, I went out there and I played against another guy named Mike. And he was trying out a Utagar. And I adjusted my list a little bit mm-hmm. because I just picked up a Stalker. Yes. And I painted him up. And so... The Stalker is an ally, mm-hmm. but with the Herodellins, he's actually a trusted ally. So he's like part of the faction. He's like one of the bros. Right. So he fits right in and he gets all the benefits of being a Herodellin. Um, so I got him out there and I got my, so I had to ditch the, the barrack, the apprentice knight of Barrack, okay. and I had to lose a Thresher in order to fit the Stalker in. To my list
2: but the stalker brings your shooting game up to a oh my gosh the
1: stalker was just fire so i picked his caster the bear chick mm-hmm. i don't know what she's bear called. Mystic? yeah it's, it's an awesome model i love the model and uh um, so i made that his quarry right and we go around he he does really good about locking us into hand to hand and uh my questing knights were just the mvps of the game the questing knights of Silva. Sylvia, yes. That uh, defense six, I think.
2: Right. That's a big shield that they are holding out oh there. Oh, my gosh. Is very good at helping them defend. It's
1: amazing. Those guys just held everybody. They're all
2: so lucky. And free I got stone. that free
1: fate stones. So um, we're rolling in, and I ended up shooting uh, his bear mystic in melee with the stalker and killed her with one shot.
2: Yeah, you did mention you'd been shooting into combat son. Yes. So I'm glad it worked for you.
1: It did, um, because I ended up rolling a D16. Wow. So uh, he's normally a D12, and then your quarry gives you plus two die levels. Yeah. And so that bumps him up to a 16. And earlier in the game, I had another model, because I couldn't hit the quarry one, and I was like, well, I can see this one. So I casted uh, the buff... That gives you plus two die levels to so your Mara Rar. Yes. And I casted it on my Stalker. Because I knew there was a lot of hand-to-hand going on. And he fought, shot into hand-to-hand. Killed that guy, too. Fantastic. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm a fan of the Stalker.
2: Yes, he was a fantastic addition. Because you've seen how weak the muster archers are. Oh, my god. And it made it rough. Being slow. Not being able to take advantage of really shooting and managing to take some life points off early.
1: Yep. But, uh... I had a couple great games this week. Um, well, obviously, both of them were wins, so that was a bonus. And then I just. It's discovering this game has just been so fun for me. Uh, there's so many neat little things and nuances, and getting to play other people and seeing what other factions and, and uh, free bands are doing. It's, it's very, very interesting. So.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a rabbit hole that you can fall down, and it's a great game because there's so many different things to experience that it's not one that you're going to be bored of soon.
1: No, not at all. And if you do get just a little bit bored, read some of the fluff, because the fluff is really good. And then the stuff they're working on for Bright Sword is really good. And that's in beta, so you can get the Bright Sword rulebook right now for free. Just go download it off the uh, dgsgames.com under Downloads, and... That will take you to the rule book there. And then they also have a Patreon page that has some stuff. And then they have the World Anvil, which is basically all about role-playing and the whole history of Phalon.
2: Yeah, you can see the maps that show you, you know, where the city the Candorans captured was, where they learned necromancy. You can see, you know, how far they had to travel if they went over mountain ranges through marshes. There's so much of that world to experience.
1: Yeah, it's, it's neat. I, I really dig it. So, on those worlds, there's a lot of neat stories, and there's also rumors.
2: There are a couple of rumors. So, a few that I have for you are... There's a rumor that next month, you know, October 1st, when our new World Anvil stuff launches, that your new adventure is going to be set in a monastery, which is dedicated to Aaliyah, and you will be fighting demons and solving a mystery. So, you definitely want to... Take a look at your adventurers. Make sure that they're up for fighting demons because that's a big thing. And another really exciting thing that we are launching in October is we've mentioned before that there's two levels of Patreon right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: We're adding two more. Oh. Yes. And so the Phalon Elite is coming. It's going to give a few extra things like exclusive polls, things that we only ask that level. You're going to get a lot more previews. You're going to be able to see, especially on my side, the concept art. The work in progress sculpts, you'll get to see how these sculptors take our concept art and piece it together. And what changes we make over time to make the model better before it comes to you in retail. You'll get to see the painted models before they're released. You know, usually we're teasing the painted models maybe a week or two in advance of the release. You'll get to see them even before that. And you'll also get to see all of the new artifacts before they come out.
0: Mm -hmm. So you'll
2: be able to plan ahead for exactly what you want for your next tournament or game. You also get earlier access to the fiction and fluff that we've mentioned. Um, We're actually, while most everything now is a couple pages, it's fairly short, although fantastically written, we are planning some books. It'll be a chapter-by-chapter release, and when that comes out, that's when you'll really see the earlier access to chapter two. You know, chapter one will be out there to tease everybody. You'll get chapter two much earlier than everyone else. And finally, the super level that we have is called World Builder. So one of the things that's offered, and there will only be three of these offered in October because it is actually a lot of work on our side and a lot of bonuses on your side, you get to become a faction consultant. And this is a first come first serve. So if you are the first World Builder, you get to pick from any of our factions and you get consulted on things like, what's the next new model? So let's say you chose Candor, which we mentioned earlier. You can help us decide Does the next new model need to be a new hero or is it better off that they have a follower? Are we okay with how much range they have now or do we think that they need another range model? Is it going to be undead? Is it going to be a live model? These are all things that you get to have a direct say and impact in.
1: That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, So with that and there's only three of those available. Right. um, How do you determine who gets those three?
2: It's going to be a first come first serve.
1: So literally, it's going to be like, all right, well, we're going to put this up sometime tomorrow. Right. And then you got to keep hitting the refresh button on your browser.
2: Absolutely. And like I said, we're only offering those three right now. There are plans, if this goes well, to expand it. Although, Uh because of that faction consultants especially, we're going to be limited to how many factions we have.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. So
2: it's not going to be we're going to have three people fighting over what happens next with the Tresorites. If you pick that,
1: you are the one go-to but there is more factions coming out because we've talked Look. about the coronas
2: right I'd no believe
1: relation to the oh. coronavirus.
2: right this faction it has been planned different. forever
1: <laughs> it's there's no 19 in the name there's no cure but it is
2: kind of interesting how that is going to play out because i'm sure we're going to hear a lot about that when we show up at adepticon yeah it's though.
1: corona with a k it
2: is and it is the corona and moon sworn a very important part of their lore is that they you know worship the two moons So just, you know, a happenstance that the names are close, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about that. But absolutely. So at that point, another world builder could come in and help sign on to make sure that faction goes a certain direction. You also get a personal habitation in Phelan. Now, depending on who you are and what you like, this could be anything from, you know, setting yourself up as a swamp witch. (laughs) To, you know, you want this gigantic manor house. Maybe you have, you know, well, your I saw own somebody city. posted
1: on the forums. They said they wanted to be a fat merchant because I s- described a fat merchant. <laughs> so there you go. Right. I
2: think that's kind of taken given that those models are sponsored and actually based on the Armitage <laughs> twins. So it's kind of hard to replace the Armitage twins, but absolutely. So you can decide, you know, you're going to have a whole merchant's guild, can be your habitation. And we're going to help you build that. We're gonna maybe put some art behind it. There's a lot of cool things that we can do here.
1: So you can essentially create a whole module for Brightsword off of this one patron.
2: Absolutely, and that's why we're only opening it up to three because there's gonna be a lot of time and work and personalization that goes into this level. So we wanna be sure on our end that we can
1: deliver. Yeah, and I, that's good that you're only starting with three so you can limit it to make sure that it's, it's feasible for everybody involved and uh, We want DGS to be successful because we want Phelon to continue to grow. Uh, Absolutely. And I think it's really great that you guys are giving the fan base the opportunity to have some say in the world and, and add to it. Because, you know, that's how all these third party book and other things, modules come out for different game systems aftermarket. And, you know, if you guys are able to tie that in to make it official, that's Right. That's a pretty big deal, and that's a lot of work.
2: It is. And because you
1: still have right your regular work.
2: Yes, we do. We you aren't have- taking anything off of our plates to add this. So we're adding it gradually, you know, be patient with us. But it's amazing what you get. You know, as a member of the company, I kind of have, have access to some of this. You know, I have a Countess, Countess Jerrica. She is part of the Herodellans. I have a county that I rule, and, you know, I have Starhold that is my personal habitation. So you can't have Starhold, it's mine. But, you know, I kind of already got to live this and it is just amazing because I can take this now and I can write a whole section on the types of horses that she breeds up there because you have to make sure that the horses can handle all that heavy armor and i can just pick out little nuances like that i happen to be a horse fanatic so i would do on a farm by the way yes (laughs) absolutely so you know but this is something that i can do that you know no one outside of the company has had access to until now and now this is the kind of thing that you get to have a say in and help us create
1: that's awesome yeah i have a a modern day army for a different game system that's all what you you know ultra modern and my army, it's Danistan. It's the national republic of it's Danistan. So,
2: right. so I, I can, can
1: totally in get <laughs> into having a place in Phelan. So that's pretty sweet. Um, I think we are pushing our time today. We are gonna be about a little over an hour and a half. Wow. So we had a lot to cover today. Uh, plus with the North American uh, championship ad in there, hopefully we didn't bore you guys too much and we will be back in a couple weeks to record that recording will talk talk about the tournament the turnout the results uh the factions that were there we may delve into a few of the lists that make the top and we will have matt there and hopefully john will be able to make it as well so if there's anything you would like us to ask the people that are in the tournament or if there's anything you would like us to cover please don't hesitate to post up in the Discord channel. We have a Tarch podcast uh, section. Just look for it, click in there, and Jen or I will be able to answer it. And I look forward to talking to you guys next time.
2: Absolutely. Can't wait to see you then.
0: Thanks for joining us today at Tarch. You can find all your Free Freeblade needs at dgsgames.com. Make sure you visit the Free Freeblade's players page on Facebook as well. With that... We have reached our breakpoint and must back it up. Until next time, Freebladers...